0: I want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting QuetzalEC.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com and if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a five percent discount on their abolitionist teaching pd series once again you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their connect with us page Kevin is out uh, this week and in his place. We brought in a sub. Sub, will you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Juliana Naotuei, AKA Miss Earth. Uh, 2021 Nevada State Teacher of the Year and 2021 National Teacher of the Year. It is awesome to see come into this classroom and teach this class without
0: lesson plans. Thanks Kev. Kev didn't leave you any lesson plans and we'll talk about that a little bit. We're coming for you Kev, you're about to get dragged. So welcome to uh, Revolution Mixtape 2022. This is track five. Track five is uh, Kurt Russell, National Teacher of the Year for 2022. We really hope you enjoyed track four, which was you Juli, it was you. Look at that, I'm just on repeat in room. We gotta have Juliano Urtube on uh, repeat for sure, especially in these times. Um, So uh, we have this amazing opportunity to talk to Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt is everything as advertised and more. Uh, He's a 25-year veteran of the classroom. Uh, Kurt was first inspired to become a teacher in middle school when he first, when he encountered his first black male teacher and he gives a really uh, beautiful tribute to these teachers that inspired him. Uh, Now as 2022 National Teacher of the Year, he plans to advocate for classrooms to better reflect the students within them from a curriculum that reflects their backgrounds and identities to a more diverse teaching profession. Uh, Kurt teaches history at Oberlin High School in Oberlin, Ohio, where he was born and raised. His classes include African American history, which he has taught since the late 1990s and Race, Gender, and Oppression, a class he developed. He also serves as a faculty advisor for the student-led Black Student Union, whose work has led to positive impacts for students across racial groups.
1: And, you know, talking to Kurt, you realize, wow, it's possible to do so much. And he's all the things, like you said, he's and he's gentle and he's thoughtful and he's fierce and he's unapologetic and he's unshakable yeah unshakable yeah I really loved that opportunity to talk to him and listen to how in addition to his classroom and extracurricular duties he is the head coach for the school's varsity basketball team he sees basketball as an extension of the classroom and as a place where young people can learn about working together and how to handle both adversity and success He holds a Bachelor of Arts degree with a major in history and a minor in Black Studies from the College of Worcester and a Master of Education in Curriculum and Instruction from Ashland University. And I have to tell you that he embodies what it means to be a great teacher, which is a lifelong learner, as he continues to take courses in child development at Oakland City University.
0: Definitely. Um, And one thing, one regret I have about this interview is I I didn't um, bring an MBA uh, you know, element into this, uh, because, you know, LeBron James from Akron, Ohio. Um, and then of course, um, I get to cheer on the two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic. Um, he was, uh, not, uh, Kurt, not Nikola Jokic. Kurt was previously recognized as a teacher of the as teacher of the year by the Oberlin Heritage Center and the Oberlin Chapter of the NAACP, and as Lorain County Basketball Association Coach of the Year and Northeast Ohio Coach of the Year. Kurt lives with his wife Donna in Oberlin. They are the parents of two adult sons, Kurt Jr. and Corey. Um, Kurt Jr. is KJ, just so you all know. Uh, Kurt enjoys reading nonfiction and traveling and and i'll tell you that that lifelong learner piece comes through really really powerfully in this conversation um so i guess i I guess we we let the people have this conversation yeah enjoy all right y'all uh we'll catch you on the other side um and uh please enjoy this conversation with 2022 national teacher of the year kurt russell Hey, yo, what is going on, Two Dope Nation? Welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. And I am Juliana Urtoway. That is not Kevin Adams. That is wild. So Kevin is off on some very important business over the next few days. And so 2021 National Teacher of the Year, The Home Girl, uh, Juliano Ortube has um, agreed to co-host on the podcast, Juli. This is amazing.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here.
0: This is great. Well folks, we got an amazing amazing conversation. We are about to have the 2022 National Teacher of the Year Kurt Russell is here and uh, we're we're super excited uh, to have you, Kurt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hey, it's great to be here. I really do appreciate the invitation. so thank you so much. Man, oh, man. And, uh, you know, uh, Too Dope Nation is super excited to hear from you. Listen, folks, if this is your first time hearing a podcast, especially those of you who maybe follow uh, Kurt on on social media, you will maybe see him mentioned in this. Um, We are a podcast that looks to remix the conversation on race, power and education. Uh, We bring you content that is too dope. We're highlighting the stories of Two Dope Teachers all over the country. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Two Dope Teachers on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We have a TikTok that we never update because my daughter would kill me if we did. And um, but that, that's not necessarily going to stop me. Uh, we can also you can go back and find old episodes at TwoDopeTeachers.com where we have episodes going all the way back to the pilot episode in uh, 2016 when we first started this amazing work. Um, for those of you who want to support us uh, financially, you can go to patreon.com slash teachers uh, for as little as $5 a month. You can support people of color generated popular media. We're coming from the grassroots. We're not sponsored by any big media conglomerate. We're not saying we're against it, but we're just not at this point. And we um and, and we just rock with the people. So, uh, and if you pledge fifteen dollars a month, you get a sticker. You get a Tudo Nation sticker designed by Sham, a yoke, uh, a young local street artist here in Denver, Colorado. So, um, this is super exciting. Um, we we got we, we this is this is the week of heavy hitters, man. Like like we have Juliana on here co hosting. This is a beautiful thing. Julie, are you hey, um, nervous?
1: Can I just tell you something that just occurred to me? Please do. Am I substitute teaching for Kevin right now?
0: <laughs> Kevin sub. <laughs>
1: I'm Kevin's sub. Yes. Like, I love it. Yeah, that's, what's up? Sorry, I interrupted you because I love metaphors okay. and puns.
0: No, that's amazing. Uh, Kevin sub is here, that's amazing. Uh, did he leave you good lesson plans? Probably not. No,
1: no, he didn't leave me any lesson plans. Good you know thing what? I got, Mr. A plus Kurt Russell on deck.
0: He, well, but here's what I'll say though, Kev, um kev leaves the worst lesson plans but like and it's because he actually expects you to teach his students when you are covering his class like there's a saying in my neighborhood sometimes it'd be your own people (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do this like i covered his class once i'm like you really want me to actually teach these children bro like what are you doing um not (laughs) shout out to kev He's one of them good teachers, and we love him to death. Um, well, so uh, so, Juli, um, we're we're gonna get into this conversation. Um, uh, why don't you give a little warm welcome to Kurt? I've been rambling more than usual.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, I got a phone call, and Hidalgo just had to say Kurt Russell, and I said yes. <sighs> you know, whatever, whatever it was, yes. Because it's been an honor to watch Kurt go through this process. It is not an easy process. It is one of uplifting the entire nation's professional teachers um, in a time that teaching is really tough, in a time that we're facing really tough questions, um, and we're trying to do it with authenticity and integrity. And Kurt Russell, let me tell you, slam dunk, home run, you have done it with so much Love and passion, and I've heard people tell me that they, you know, their passion for teaching is being reignited. So, without further ado, hello, Mr. Kurt Russell.
2: Oh, Juliana, you are so so kind. Um, I do have a story as well because Juliana, I recall when I was first selected as National Teacher of the Year, you showed so much grace and kindness towards me. when you called, and we met in D.C. and we had dinner together and you told me something that I'm carrying with me right now to be yourself. Um, have to be vulnerable right now. I was so intimidated following your footsteps. And you said, please don't follow my footsteps. Be your own person. And I really took that to heart. And I really, really do appreciate it. And I really do appreciate just being here today. Um, So far, this is my, I guess, most enjoyable, podcast. Uh,
0: podcasts, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We won't tell the other podcasts. Either. That's right. <laughs> um, no, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, for, for me as Colorado teacher of the year and, and just having witnessed the last couple of years, um, a, um, it's, it's been amazing to continue to learn with and from Juliana and B it's just incredible when we have black and Brown educators um, being recognized uh, for, for their amazing work and perspectives. And, you know, hopefully we can, uh, we can make some, um, make some really important um, impacts here. Like I didn't really have a teacher of color until I was in college really like, and so that was uh, really important. So who uh, do you want to take us away?
1: Yeah, for sure. And let me contextualize in saying that we do this work together. Right? It's impossible for any State Teacher of the Year National Teacher of the Year to do this work alone. Right, That, that advice about being yourself came from the 2010 National Teacher of the Year, Sarah Brown-Wesling, who directs the National Teacher of the Year program. Um, and it's really rooted in the truth, right, um, that we do this work together. We never are alone, even though sometimes we may feel isolated. This morning, I was doing my meditation, my guided meditation, and the whole theme of it was that authenticity starts with knowing that you're enough. And I always like to think about those things in terms of my students and then bring it back to myself and my colleagues. Black and brown teachers gotta know that we're enough, that we do this work and we do it together. So Kurt, you're a history teacher, um, but we wanna know more about your history. We know that you teach ethnic studies, that you center, Black history in your schools, and we love the passion that you do it. I remember watching your announcement, and you got asked the question, like, these are contentious times. How do you handle this? And you were cool as a cucumber, and you responded back, I teach my students what they want to know. I teach my students about their history, and it was just, you contextualized it so well, like, there was no argument about it, and that's the beautiful thing about knowing that you're enough, knowing that your history is abundant and that there's so much to teach. So I'm hoping that you can teach us the history of your teaching story. How did you get to teach ethnic studies? Tell us a little bit about your high school and your family and your teaching.
2: Well, that's a great question. And um, my parents, both of my parents were born in Alabama in the 1950s and the 1960s. So during that Jim Crow era, um, segregation was at its height. Um, the civil rights movement was really kickstarting and really getting the wheels rolling. and both of my parents went to segregated schools and they you know told me the stories where all they saw in their community uh, were people of color, especially those of African descent and really felt appreciated and valued and even, the help, you know, the cooks and the custodians had a hand in the development of Black children growing up. And so when they graduated, they moved to Ohio looking for better opportunities. Um, Both my parents did not go to college, um, you know, worked laborers. And when I started school, my kindergarten teacher by the name of Miss Francine Toss, Ms. Toss was a white middle-aged woman, and I would never forget that she had this big smile welcoming students to her classroom, and understand, this was in, what, 1977, 78, and, you know, from my parents' story of growing up in the South, I knew about certain individuals. My mother marched with Martin Luther King Jr. as a high school student.
0: Yeah, heard of him. Um, Yes, (laughs)
2: yes <laughs> protested uh, and so i heard about martin luther king jr and miss toss read a book and i'll never forget she oh it was a picture book um uh, and she said this is a story about martin luther king jr and when she opened up the book i saw a black boy and i just resonated with that. Uh, and her intentionality of introducing her students to Black authors, Black stories, um, really made an impact in my growth. And then my eighth grade math teacher, Mr. Larry Thomas, was the first Black male teacher I ever had. And in him, I saw myself. I always loved history. I always loved stories. And I thought about becoming a teacher, and then when I saw this gentleman
0: who had this nice fro, this guy who was from... That, that makes he, me think of the Lawrence Fishburne character in yes. Higher Learning. <laughs> yes. like, just
2: like that. Uh, he wore a suit and tie every day. Even to this day, I wear a suit and tie every day because I always wanted to mimic Mr. Thomas. Um, the way he handled the classroom, the way he um, show respect to the students. I say I would like to be that one day, and so here I am as um, National Teacher of the Year because I had great influences growing up.
1: You, it's in high school that you teach at that, right? Yes.
2: Yeah, so tell I us just, a
1: little about that. You know
2: what? I always wanted to come back um, to my high school because the impact that Oberlin had on my life. I wanted to give back. And I had other opportunities, but something about Oberlin drew me nearer. Um, it was the demographics of our schools. Um, it was the, the environment, the community, um, the way that our administration support and welcomes diverse learning and diverse students. It just really made me feel as though I could make an impact in my school.
1: I that a little intuition that you have?
2: <laughs> well, I hope so. I really do. Because yeah. a lot of times, and I think all of us know this, you have this imposter syndrome. Am I really doing the work? You know, am I really being impactful? Um, I gave a speech earlier today. Um, and the title was that there's greatness in all of us. And I really do believe that, that there's greatness in each and every one of us. And it's more than just about awards with me. Uh, when we are teachers, we do not search for accolades. I search for personally to make sure that my students have the most well-rounded education. And Julianne, if I could steal your words, that joyous
0: education as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, that that whole piece on imposter syndrome is is something I've got given a lot of. Um, a lot of thought too recently. Um, I went back to school this past year, and what I'm starting to realize is um, is it's it's white supremacy that makes you feel like an imposter, right? Yeah. That there's this narrowly defined um, this this narrowly defined sort of area of professionalism, of success, of achievement. And if you don't fit in that box, then you don't really belong there. And that's something I've been trying to decolonize in my own existence. Like uh, my, my job isn't to come in and, and fit into a system which has done a lot of harm to black and brown children across this country. Uh, my job is to come in and um, and try to disrupt it and, and make it a little bit different. I want to follow up a little bit on ethnic studies. Like, um, so you've, you're like, you've been at this for 25 years. Is that right? Yes, it That's is. It's amazing. Like, Julio, there's finally somebody who's been teaching longer than me. <laughs> and, and I just, back, Mr.
1: Munoz. I just,
0: uh, I just, I'm a veteran, I don't like for real. Um, but so I just concluded year 23 when I started teaching and I started talking about ethnic studies as being what I was the most committed to bringing to my kids. I was at an expulsion high school here in Denver, Colorado, black and brown children, um, you know, it wasn't that I got pushback. People just didn't know what I was talking about. Yes. You know, when I talked about, uh, Rasa studies, when I talked about black studies, when I talked about indigenous studies, people are kind of like, wait, what, what is, what? That's weird. Um, what has, what's that path been like for you as you've, um, unapologetically brought ethnic studies content? to your students for 25 years? I'm glad you asked
2: that question because when I received my teacher license and when I applied uh, to be a history teacher at Oberlin High School, during my interview, I made it known that one of my major purposes and my major goals is to make sure that my students are reflected in the classroom and in the curriculum. Um, And so that was head on first day because I realized the impact that students have when they see themselves, and when their voices are heard, and when their narratives and their stories are told, how great of a source of inspiration students will gain from that. And so my journey as um, a teacher of African-American history, a teacher of race, gender, and oppression, a teacher of Black music in the African diaspora, has been one of growth for me as well, as long as my students. So what I try to do is to make sure that my students feel, number one, encouraged by what I'm teaching, that they feel a sense of respect within my classroom, and that they feel safe. And it's so important that uh, as a teacher, especially a history teacher, that I tell the truth. And I always say the following, that I do not teach history for you to like it, for you to dislike it, but for you to learn, right? And so you could take it any way you want. You like it. I am grateful. If you dislike history, that's okay. Maybe I need to reflect upon my teaching. But the most important thing is for you to, to learn.
0: Yeah. And that's, so that's a piece that is so powerful to me because, so I'm, I'm doing math here in my yeah. head. Uh, my people invented zero. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking about that. Um, so, uh, doing the math, this is what 1996 or 1997. Yes. So it's, it's amazing to me because at least where I am, there was no conversation about about students being reflected in the curriculum we were not having that conversation and so the fact that you as an early service young teacher were able to name that and to name that in an interview bro like I was (laughs) I was like the most clandestine like ethnic studies teacher ever like they're like you're going to teach civics I'm like cool there's a lot of black and brown people that contributed to the formation of this of this democracy and um and so I just have a lot of respect for that because I think that like now, now in 2022, this is at least a talking point. We can debate whether it's actually happening where it needs to be happening, but at least it's a talking point. It was not a talking point, um, what, at least when I started teaching.
2: It wasn't a talking point. And I think I had some privilege. Right. I was born and raised in Oberlin. Um, I knew the committee. Um no, I had the audacity. I believe I, I mean had you had
0: the, the relationships, right? The like relationship. had relationships, yeah.
2: Yes, I had the relationship, and I knew that um, Oberlin was looking for more diversity within a faculty. I was homegrown, and yep. th- there were some parameters that I had to make sure that the committee knew. And number one, first and foremost, was to make sure that I'm able to teach
0: those type of courses. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. Th- this makes me think of something important. I think. Who do you want to say something, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think that something that's super valuable about teachers talking to teachers is when we learn the most from each other. You want good PD? Get a teacher to talk to another teacher. Get a teacher to to talk deeply about the feeds and the theory behind why it is that we do what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is for us to jump a little bit out of the content areas that we teach. So. For those teachers out there who are listening, who maybe teach elementary school or preschool, or you know don't teach in um, a classroom where history or civics comes up, how does this connect to you? Well, it connects to you in a really important way that what Kurt and Gerardo are talking about is a through line of something that Gerardo kind of mentioned was just try to fit in all of my education. Um, what we all wanna do is create spaces of belonging. right? That's the radical work when brown and black kids and even white kids too find a healthy place of belonging, find a healthy sense of our connecting to who we are. And we love ourselves because like that quote that I threw out earlier, we know who we are and we're enough, right? So it sounds like you had the the audacity, that, that valor, that bravery that you had came from because you had that healthy sense. So I'm kind of curious and excuse me if we're going to you know, dip into storytelling right now. Let's do it. If there's a student that pops into your mind, Kurt, that maybe outwardly didn't have kind of like that healthy self-identity or that healthy identity about the history and the importance of Black and brown folks, mm-hmm. um, and then through the learning that you all did together, the teaching that you did, maybe developed a little bit more of a healthy sense. Uh-huh. Um, do you have a student that pops up?
2: Most definitely. Ellie, 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 Ellie. Ellie, um, first gen, her family migrated from Mexico um, to Ohio. Um, her parents, um, laborers, worked very hard, a little below the poverty line.
0: And when I'm Ellie- just, I'm just shook that there's Mexicans in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're a, re- we're a whole diaspora. <laughs> That is My so bad. True. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Like, no, we just like we just had Lee Perez, uh, who you know from your yes. cohort, uh, yes. who's Nebraska teacher of the year. I'm like, there's Chicanos in Nebraska. That's like, cool. there's this is wild. And go, go ahead. I, I was I, I I got stuck for a second. <laughs> that's okay.
2: So so Ellie really, I had her her first year in U.S. history, and bright student, good student, um, but struggled academically. Uh, I believe she received a C, C minus. And then Ellie took my course, Race, Gender, and Oppression. And then all of a sudden, you could see the excitement, the engagement, um, the the aptitude of I'm going to participate in this classroom because what I have to say resonate with all, all of us. Ellie just graduated from high school, and now Ellie is making that transition of one day trying to become a teacher herself. And so those are the stories that really resonate in the impact that courses have on students when those courses look like them, Yeah, right? So when we study race, gender depression, we study a unit on immigration. And Ellie hand was up the entire time telling her story, right? right? her story of, Um, her family leaving mexico and coming to ohio and the
0: difficulties that they had and
2: as a teacher i learned
0: yeah it's beautiful well that's that's the thing and and um paulo freire you know has this incredible idea that there's no authentic learning process it doesn't move both teacher and student forward um that if that if you're not learning as a teacher then then learning isn't happening in an authentic way in that space. Um, It's funny because you talk about Ellie and I, I, I'm not going to tell the whole story because, you know, I want to keep our attention on, on your journey. Um, But for me, it's Abigail. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, her name of course, looks like Abigail on the uh, you know, on the roster. I was the first person to call her Abigail. And um, this was a young person who, when I met her was very, very quiet, very soft-spoken, uh, but really thoughtful and really deep. Um, and long story short, she's uh, starting as a uh, double degree, ethnic studies and business major um, at a local university this fall. And so, when you when when you see how it ignites students to see themselves, but then also the way it ignites you to continue yeah. to engage in this work and really believe in it. Um, I want to. Um, I want to also name something that I think we went over really quickly, but it's just so powerful. Like we're both history teachers and I don't know, like maybe it's just my own like bias, but I feel like, um, in the teacher of the year spaces, it is a lot of people who teach younger students, right? Um, I feel like, and I, that could be completely wrong. I have not researched this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I feel like those of us who teach high school, um, it's such a nuanced kind of space that um, that it's hard to find someone who does what you do. Um, and I, I won't compare myself to you, but but to have that ethnic studies conversation, I think is really powerful. There's a scholar at um, the University of Missouri, Dr. Legarrett King, I don't know if you've come a, across him. He talks about in his scholarship at the Center for Black Education, um, so Black edu- I'm getting it confused. Uh, he So essentially he established a center in Missouri that focuses on teaching black history. Mm-hmm. And he had gone from being a history teacher in high school to stepping out of the administration track and going to graduate school to become a professor. And so now he teaches education. Um, and he talks about how we must sustain these contentious spaces that history is contentious. And my favorite thing that he said is when people comment that violence isn't the answer, Dr. King says, Hey, um, so have you looked at American history? Violence is always the answer, <laughs> you know? And so he, he talks about naming these contentious spaces and saying, this is just where we have to be able to sit and we have to kind of deal with that. We've sort of touched on this in this conversation, but we are, who teach ethnic studies who think that this is important and history in general, we're living in really contentious times. How do you how do you confront the reality of teaching this content that I think eighteen states have outlawed um, in these contentious times, from the position that you're in and in the community that you serve? Uh, the most, I guess, reasoning why
2: I continue to do so is because, and it's a simple answer, it's needed not only for the school, not only for myself, right? I, I have a passion to teach it, but it's needed for each and every student. Um, I make sure that I do not sugarcoat, I'm unapologetic, uh, I'm intentional of what I teach because the time calls for it. And so in my race, gender, depression class, I have a unit on women's rights. And we, we study the movement of the suffragists, but I always mention that, the you know, white women left out women of color mm-hmm. during this movement. 100%. And so we have to name that, right? In order for us to grow. And so I make sure that I try to the best of my ability to name the period that we are studying, to name the circumstances, but also to name the great contributions of marginalized groups and and people of color. I think it's so needed.
0: And my students are growing from that. That's powerful stuff. And, and I, and I think like teaching that from that critical perspective is so important whose voices are not at the table. What are the foundational assumptions that that we make? I mean, let's be real. Like we know that when they come for this curriculum that they're calling critical race theory um, and, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I am, I'm a critical race theorist in the making. Um, That's my goal. But um, you know, that debate aside when, when they come for this type of teaching they're coming for us yes they're coming mm-hmm. for black and brown educators mm-hmm. um because they know that we we represent something different and that and that our way is um is is different um julie wants to know about your shirts
1: oh yeah i do <laughs> as i'm sitting here allowing my brain to go into 15 different directions about oh. what you all were talking about you know i'm I'm sitting here listening, thinking, okay, what if I'm one of those teachers in those one of those 18 states? Like, how do I do this? You know, because these curriculums are disallowed, teachers find ways to make it happen, right? And I keep coming back to this sense of belonging, especially post-COVID, where everything kind of got shaken up. I keep thinking about this is the work teachers do. We make sure that our students belong. And in those contentious spaces where people think, no, you shouldn't be teaching you know, this coursework, this Rasa studies, ethnic studies, teaching kids about their ancestral knowledge, right? Um, really what we're, they're telling us is there, you shouldn't be teaching in a way that our students and you feel like you belong, yeah. right? But it, that's it, the work,
0: it is that good. is the
1: work and we're doing it. And so one of the ways that I see you um, giving teachers a space to belong is this quote, I still have hope. So I'm hoping that that you can tell us a little bit about where that quote came from, what it means to you, how it landed on t-shirts and how, you know, the 2022 cohort state teachers of the year are supporting you.
0: Okay, yo, what about, but that segue though. Yes. That segue though. (laughs) That's some skill. That, that was beautiful.
2: Yeah. I just in
1: some air It ages me. I'm so sorry. No, it's beautiful. Luckily, those of you who are just listening did not see that. Be was that. Crazy.
2: that was well, i tell you what, after the, the murder of those beautiful young kids um, in Texas and those remarkable educators, um, I didn't have words to, to speak, but I felt as though I needed to because the title that I have, right? National Teacher of the Year. I probably should say something. And I wasn't going to. I I wrestled with it. And I wanted to say something that was scholarly, something that was impactful, but it didn't come out. And so I just started typing. And it just came from the heart. And I just said that I still, after all of this, you know, I still have hope. Uh, I have hope in the transformative power of education uh, and the remarkable students. And a friend of mine heard, read the tweets that I I posted and was moved and gifted my wife and I a t-shirt, the beautiful t-shirt that my cohort is wearing. And I posted on social media and he posted on social media. And from there, just a lot of tags where, where can I get the shirts? Where can I get the shirts? And I've just felt so moved that uh, it has become a source of strength for me because in these times, you know, the times are hard and the the gravity of the moment is hard for teachers and educators. And I have to remind myself that I still have hope uh, what education could do with the right form of education, right? That education has to be holistic, it has to be intentional, it has to be real and just. And from there, I just feel so honored that people are wearing these t-shirts.
1: Yeah, yep. I have to borrow from my one of my favorite authors and thinkers, Alice Walker. Yeah. She has this quote in actually a very not well-known poem, but I happen to think upon it. And she says that hope is our toughest teacher no, I'm sorry. Hope is our best teacher that gives us our toughest homework, mm-hmm. and you're embodying that. You know, you are embodying that, and um, yeah, I think that this sensation of having to say the right thing That's to a cool. multitude of people is really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is where like you being yourself just comes through. And when you speak from the heart, Mr. Kurt Russell, I find the words that I need. So thank you for uplifting that hope. Um, and thank you for rocking those cool shirts. I know whenever they come across my my tweet um or my thread, I'm like like, retweet share because i love
0: that yeah, i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna need to uh make a make a make a request for some shirts we'll we'll we'll, we'll figure out how to get them uh I I get you so uh, <laughs> all right we'll, and um you know so the hope thing is really interesting to me because Juliana yeah. will tell you that i'm a complainer like i complain all the time um and uh and i think one of the one of the things that i experience um particularly on social media which is why teacher twitter is like the best and worst place ever mm. um how we, how we define hope, right? Because what I hear you define, when I hear you define hope, as you just did, it actually makes me think of uh, our friend Juliana Brooke Brown, who, uh, in quoting another great Brown, Adrienne Marie Brown, um, says that social justice work is science fiction, right? The world that we're envisioning doesn't exist and hasn't existed. And we have to use this kind of Henry Giroux's words: "This radical imagination to work towards a future that isn't established, right?" And um, and this is really different from uh, the type of hope that sometimes is peddled um, on social media platforms. This kind of toxic positivity and that kind of thing. How do you um, ensure that your message of hope is actually a message of resistance? It's a message of determination and resilience and and that kind of thing. Yeah,
2: because I use my definition of hope as being more of a disruptor agent, right? So my hope is that things must change, right? So I, I, we cannot live in this space of school violence. We can't live in this space of racism within our schools. We can't live in this space of sexism in our schools. Um, so those days must be gone. And so as a disruptor, I have hope that things would change, that we're going to progress in order to make sure that all students, every single student, feel worthy, feel as though they are a part of school and that they are not on the outskirts. So that's my hope. Um, so once again, it's a hope that we will change our current situation from education that has been based upon or rooted in racism and sexism and homophobia, and change all of that to a place of happiness and joy, and a place of true learning. As they say in my neighborhood, already.
0: Yeah. Already.
1: Vale. Uh, But this is is why, Kurt, you're called to do this work right now, right? This is why um, our country's teachers need you right now, because you are doing this work in your classroom right? You are making this happen in your school through your coaching, through your leadership, your academic planning, all of these amazing things. You're making it happen while holding on to the hope that it can happen on on a broader lens. And so keep doing the work. We're super, super excited. This reminded me of another huge question that we have facing our profession right now, which is how do we support, oh, My dog is all about it right now.
0: Dog is fired up. Dog's like, yo, ask that question. (laughs) Ask that question.
1: (laughs) Sorry, she never barks. She's like, she's the... She's feeling the passion. Real quick, I'm just going to stop while she stops barking. Chima, mi hermosa. She's the only female dog that I have at three dogs. So when she barks, it's for real. Because she's really... Her her intellectual intellectual abilities are superior to the other two dogs that I own. Um,
0: See what you did there.
1: The other ones, the other ones bark at like plastic bags floating across my front yard. That's know?
0: like it's it's good that with uh you know you're subbing for Kevin, but we still have the Franz like dynamic, so Kev- Kevin's dog is named Franz, after Franz Fanon, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely, yes, we'll definitely um, interject as, as we, um, oh, and I think there's Frida too the cat. All right, so.
1: Animal animal cameo. Oh, Look, I was, I'm reading The Fire Keeper's Daughter, and her best friend, the main character, her best friend is raised by her grandmother, and her grandmother named their dog Tribal Council so that she could yell at the tribal council all day long.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. That's a
1: little, I I highly recommend that book. Anyway, okay, um, focus. Focus, I can do this.
0: We're good, we're good.
1: Uh, The other big question facing our profession right now. Okay, so Kurt, being able to teach a holistic, responsive, not just history, but pedagogy with teachers who have been there, who understand the history of things of like the power of desegregation, right? The power of everybody doing their part, right? The other huge question that I think that we have to resolve collaboratively and collectively is how do we support teachers to stay in the profession? Specifically, how do we support those teachers in year one through year three of their practice when the last couple years of their practice has been virtual teaching, coming back and going back and, you know, this this response to the times. And then last year, we thought we were going to get this, you know, idyllic year. And then things went really quickly back to, back to normal, back to the same urgency that didn't matter our humanity and our human needs, right? To looking forward to this year. I have to tell you, my heart is heavy because I know of many teachers, not just one, not just in districts that I was a part of or am a part of, or you know, across the country, teachers who are financially struggling so much yes. to support their families and it just kills me. So what, let's apply a little bit of this. I still have hope with like a radical imagination lens, right, it's, it's a practice. Let's apply that to what advice do you have for teachers in year one through three? <clears throat> what advice do you have for teachers on the whole right now. And, and um, I already left, so,
0: you know, <laughs> I already left the classroom.
1: No, once a teacher, always a teacher. We are that's always right. teachers. Um, I just have to make sure super. I
0: never say that in a PD. Like, you know, when I was a teacher, I, um,
1: yeah, no, I ain't gonna do that. We're always teachers. True. So tell us, tell us, Kurt.
2: You, you yeah. know, first of all, um, I'm glad you asked that question because, you no know, teaching right now is not attractive right? It's not an attractive profession. Pay is low. Um, teachers are not respected in regards to the expertise as being classroom practitioners. Um, you know, There's a lot of legislation that's being thrown out there that's taking away the professionalism of teachers. And so it's hard. It's hard for someone to stand up and say, you know what? This profession is wonderful. It's great. But it is. It is because there's greatness in all of us and what we do on a daily basis. Um, Why am I still in the classroom after 25 years? It's because of the kids I see every single day. And I know it's a simple, some might say it's a corny response, but I draw inspiration in my students. I draw inspiration. When I say my students, I'm not just saying students I have in my classroom. I'm saying students throughout this country because I'm a teacher and whenever there's a student within any particular classroom, I feel as though that is my student as well, where I will provide the best opportunity I can for all students. And that's what encouraged me. And that's going to be my... My little spill to whoever I encounter that feel discouraged, that you are truly, truly valued, you are truly, truly loved, you are respected, and you are needed. And I think teachers need to hear that—that that you are absolutely needed um, for the growth of this country because everything that is good about America, the foundation, is teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, we are everything that is good about this country.
0: I, lo- I love that because I think one of the um, w- one of the things, and I did leave the classroom. Um, I'm hoping to be able to serve um, teachers in in a in a wider way and in a more structural and systemic way. Um, but one of the things that that I will often share is that t- teaching does two things. First of all, it puts you. Um, It puts you in a space with young learners who reflect things back to you that are so powerful. We've talked about that, you know, earlier in this, in this conversation, the other thing that I've realized, and I think being so blessed to be in the, in, in this um, state teachers of the year community is that. You know, Juliana, you talked about how we've just kind of gone back to the way things are, right? And that there's this attempt to return to this culture of achievement and test scores and individualism. I mean, the way we disrupt that is by building communities and working collectively. And so I think, you know, this conversation that we're having right now, to me, it's, it's not a great conversation, because we have the last two national teachers of the year in the space. I think that's part of it. But I also think that any time that you're in a space with passionate teachers who are, who really, really believe, you know, to their core in what we do, this is what the conversation feels like. You get encouraged, you get excited you start wondering if maybe you shouldn't have taken that central office job. Um, there's all that other kind of stuff that that you start thinking about. So I just really I want to shout that out as well because I think when we when we come together and work collectively, um, it's powerful. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I believe we have hit the most important part of the show. This is, so so Kurt we we understand like this is this is critical this is of critical importance uh this will make or break your reputation oh. in uh Tudo nation oh I got bars um so um I was um you know I grew up you know my my mother is is something like fifth generation from Colorado my father is uh Mexicano who came here in the 70s but uh, you know my, the third parent in my life was hip-hop Um, hip-hop raised me me and hip-hop are about the same age we grew up together i get mad at it sometimes but there's still like love um we believe in the power of hip-hop yes i want to know we want to know what your top five rappers are and so there's a couple of things that i that i have to say on behalf of kevin um so the first thing is does not have to be hierarchical Okay. Hierarchies are colonizing, they're, they're a remnant of settler colonial culture, um, they are Eurocentric so it does not have to be hierarchical. Second, it doesn't have to be limited to five, this is where we deploy the Eric Hale rule, um, where Eric, 2021 Texas Teacher of the Year says Somehow fit, I have to go back through my notes. I think he probably squeezed 14 rappers into his top five because he starts by saying, I have a three-way tie for second and a four-way tie for third. And then if it was a top 10, It would be these. And so he, you know, so you can push the boundaries in any way that you can. This does not have to be representative of everything you ever have felt about hip hop. It can be your snapshot right now, or maybe you have a personal Mount Rushmore that's always those top five. So Kurt Russell, 2022 National Teacher of the Year, who's your top five? Now let me put so either
1: in, this is a very low pressure situation I from what I'm reading tough. or a very high pressure situation. <laughs> it's for, both. not quite which one we're in. <laughs> it's but both. I will tell you <laughs> that I'm here for it. I have my paper and pencil ready to write down your five.
2: That's right. So I'm excited for this question. Let me put a little caveat with it. All right. Okay. Black music in the African diaspora. And I always tell my students who are my favorite hip hop artists, because we differ. Um, with their generation and they
0: laugh at me sometimes yeah i've been fighting about drake for like three years yes
2: <laughs> so here it goes and once again no particular order um i would have to start with probably the most lyrical mc of all time and that's
0: rakim that's my that's that's man okay, okay sorry the so
2: get I wavelength that's great <laughs> so um I love Boogie Down production and Keras One. Yes. I love MC Light. She's Man, we have the same, we have a very similar top five. Yeah, she's get disrespected. She's one of the most impactful.
0: She got, got that breath people. control, like yes. and like, oh my god, the cadence. I love her
2: style, her yeah. movement, all the above. Now, this is a little. Off because not a lot of people are familiar with EPMD. So I'm putting a group together.
0: Wow. Sermon and Paris Smith. EPMD? No, EPMD. I think that that's their first appearance on a top five, and I'm here for it. Okay. And
2: if I could be like the gentleman in Texas, can I name a couple more?
0: Because I Absolutely.
2: have LL Cool J. Ah, LL. Yep. Another, I love salt and pepper. And I love salt have- and pepper. I am going to finish with the grandfather of hip hop, probably
0: Run-D.M.C. Run-D.M.C. Yes. <laughs> so I no, I'm going to- I was
1: literally writing it, writing it down. He's oh like, no, yeah, because this is
0: like, yeah, for real. Teaser. Because this will go in the teasers if I pull them together. Um, so I So it. I have to name something. This is very 80s and 90s centric. Yes, yes it is. So yes. um, so your on behalf of your students, I feel like I have to represent your students in this one. Yeah. What's with the erasure of 21st century rappers? Oh, um, <laughs> that, that, that's great. I think because I never
2: mm, got over my love. Mm, yeah. Hip hop. Yeah. I, I never got over it. And I'm just a jealous lover. And uh, <laughs> yes. Any other has really been a hardship for me. But I need to get over that. I'm a prom advisor um, for the high school and they bring so you in- get
0: lots of feedback.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm starting to listen more and more and to widen my perspective of music. So I apologize. I'm so narrow minded um, because of the jealousy I have for the eighties. And- See, but you got it. I don't you-
1: think you have to apologize. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think you have to apologize because hip hop has been through an evolution. Right. Yeah. But, but, but. That, that time frame of hip-hop had so many of the elements of hip-hop that yes. made the music. So it wasn't individualistic, it was about community, it was about thriving, it was about survival and resourcefulness and like carving out space to be ourselves, right? So I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful time period to love hip-hop. Also, I am in my head mapping a road trip. The road trip goes like this, it goes um, where I'm at to where Gerardo's at we're head out of that to where you're at and then back around just so we can play all of our favorite music and be oh in man, car. a car
0: hip-hop road trip oh, oh man road trip. it melody. might be like a
1: hip-hop road bus because yes. we might have to put all of the teachers of the year in there yeah and all we yeah. do is listen to music
0: nah that yo let's make it happen that can be like that can be like a, a, a teacher trip that no one <laughs> want to go on but <laughs> i'm gonna love it well, no but i'll say I will say too, like, so, so this is, this is, um, this is where your heart shows, Kurt. Yes. Like, um, this is one where like you are feeling, you know, a little bit regretful, a little apologetic for, you know, the absence of, of current rappers. My, what I would say to my students is like, yeah, I said it. I said it. None of y'all's rappers make it into my top 20. It's fine although that's not true. I've, so I, I do have J. Cole on my top 5. Okay. Um, but but that's probably but but I look at this, I look at this and this li- this is what's so beautiful about this list. See, Hula, you didn't know that I analyze these lists. So like this list is such a great representation of you, Rakim, the poetic intensity, the 18th letter, right? That 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 whole that that serious kind of like, man, this is real what I'm doing and the ability that's to choose right. words. KRS-One is the teacher. The teacher. Is the, the teacher. teacher. Right. Um, I, I, I once, when I taught hip hop studies, I did a call and response with my students with Hold. Um, uh-huh. And that, they had so much fun with that. Yeah. MC Light, that that wisdom, that elegance, LL, you know, that kind of toughness and that strength. And then, of course the ability to engage people and get people excited in run DMC. Um, and I love the deep, the deep cut at EPMD. Um, I think maybe a couple of people have ever brought them up to me. I was even starting to doubt that they were a thing. Um, because I was like, come on, man, like I can't be the only one who heard EPMD." So. That's right. I got the fisherman. hat involved, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we know we got to get you out of here. Uh, Kurt Russell, we really, really, um, so grateful that you uh, chose to spend this last hour with us. Um, Would love to have you come back on the show and uh, would love to just continue to support your work. Uh, How do people find you and what you're doing?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter. uh, And the sad thing is I don't even know my Twitter handle. I think it's (laughs) K Russell underscore. Um, I'm just new to Twitter and I'm on (laughs) Facebook.
0: You're pretty good on Twitter.
2: Like I will say, you're a good follow. (laughs) Um, But I just would like to say it's such a honor um, to be on this podcast. Like I said, I heard so many great things um, and I just feel so welcome in your space. Uh, And I just feel honored to be here to share some of my thoughts. So thank you so much to the both of you and uh, hopefully that our path will cross again and that we could do more things like this.
1: Manifest man, I and I just went on my Twitter. It's Kurt senior underscore. Yep, you're looking for him on Twitter, which yep. you should be if you're not already. No, Kurt's um, a great
0: follow. Kurt, Kurt is a great, great follow.
1: follow. Like, and, and, Kurt, and thank when, you. I'm in,
0: when I'm in a grumpy mood, I'm like, I'm like, um, I look at your tweets and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we need this
1: ballad. We need this ballad. <laughs> okay, Dad? so you know, like, embrace the grumpiness. Okay, let I know. the sunshine in. It's a good ballad. I've definitely
0: been a grumpy old man since I was 13, so <laughs> <I> definitely a <laughs> thing. All right, so uh, Kurt, we got to get you to your next thing, but before we go, I'll ramble a little bit. And um, what we'll do together is we will all say "Stay Dope" together. That's how we kind of take out the show. So you'll get a little bit of a cue from me. Um, so for my amazing guest host, 2021 National Teacher of the Year Juliano Tube, for 2022 National Teacher of the Year Kurt Russell. I am Gerardos Munoz. I am encouraging you, we encourage you to see the greatness in all of us, to see every student as your student, and to stand strong in these difficult times. We get that pessimism of the intellect and that optimism of the will, as Gramsci taught us. Uh, Most importantly, just ask you to continue to embrace this pedagogy of joy and justice, um, and also what I like to call the pedagogy of hell no. I say to you, stay strong, stay optimistic, stay working hard, but above all, always
2: stay
0: low. go.